0: Uh, now, before we begin, I wanted to share with you something that the Lord had put on my heart um, for the staff, and I believe it's for the church as well, and how God kind of put this together and what he's been orchestrating. Um, I've been ministering in the community for about 15 years, and early on, I, I had the privilege to meet the pastors here that were movers and shakers, like Pastor Larry DeWitt and uh, Steve Larson and a number of others. And uh, in the course of time, they've moved on, and uh, transitions have occurred, but i remember uh being a young pastor and seeing these larger churches and having this ego and you know dreams of aspiration and competition and wanting to you know all the stuff that comes with being human and maybe you don't have those problems um and i remember pigeonholing people that i would meet because they didn't fit in 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 my sphere of what i considered important and uh one one woman i met she was more charismatic than I was used to, and she just struck me as a little different than what I found to be acceptable, maybe, I don't know. And she she uh, she was connected throughout the community in a number of ways, and and had a real connective heart. She was like a conduit in the community. And she kept trying to come into my world to connect me with others, and I really kind of dismissed it a little bit and uh and then I remember meeting Pastor Larry DeWitt and really impressed with what he'd done and uh you know I dismissed his success because it was seeker sensitive and I had all kinds of justification for my judgment and and now we're 15 years into it and I'm 51 and uh trying to be a little wiser and I went to Pastor Dongo's memorial service over at Calvary Community and I, my son has been attending Oaks Christian and I marveled at what a blessing Calvary Community's been to this community how I mean, every church is staffed in one one way or another by some connection to Calvary community. Um, and and I remember taking a trip to Salt Lake City, Utah with Pastor Larry DeWitt. And I remember one of my biggest judgments of him as we were sitting uh, around the table with Bob Millett, the Dean of Religious Studies at BYU, and Robert Mao, the president of Fuller, and uh, Pastor Larry. And I was there with another minister. And they were talking about how Mormons are... Orthodox Christians and and Larry said I agree they uh, you know the, they believe in Christ and they they believe in atonement and the Trinity and and I I was stunned uh, and and I immediately just you know labeled Pastor Larry, but one of the things I couldn't deny over the years is how much he loved people and he still does. Whenever you're in the presence of Larry Dewitt, there's just this love that just oozes out of him. And it occurred to me one time as the Lord was speaking to my heart especially as I was sitting at Pastor Dongo's service and seeing the beauty of the facility and what God had done through Calvary Community. And I thought to myself, this was done through a man that loves people. Now, Larry DeWitt has a strength. We all have strengths or gifts from the Lord. Now, an unguarded strength is a weakness. Let me repeat that. An unguarded strength is a weakness. So, for example, if if mine is discernment, then my weakness could be overjudgment, right? Isolation in some regards. If yours is compassion, uh, your weakness would be compassion over truth. Pastor Larry loves people so much he's willing to lower a bar he's not allowed to lower to have people come into the kingdom. Not that that's what he was doing, but that's kind of my observation of it. And, and here I was sitting and God was convicting my heart because the Bible says he commands us to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then I saw this woman who 15 years earlier tried to connect me and I heard the story of how Pastor Dongo got started. He was a father of six, adopted 20 other kids that were orphaned from the AIDS epidemic in Africa, thousands that he took care of after the, the uh, massacre of the Sudanese uh, or in the Sudan, and, and probably 8,000 or more students have been fed, cared for, and housed in, in uh, God Care School, all by this man who was once a just dirt poor farmer. And it all occurred because that woman that I had dismissed 15 years earlier had connected Pastor Dongo with Kirk DeWitt, who introduced him to Larry DeWitt, that started this movement where they would take the widow's beads and they created shoes through Target and funded this massive movement so that when Pastor Dongo died, both in Kampala and Tebe, massive amounts of, of of the nation of Uganda came out for his funeral. All because one woman who I dismissed 15 years ago was used of God as a conduit to connect people. And my point is this. You have gifts, but those gifts can bring you to isolation if you don't endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You have to endeavor with folks with different gifts, and, and, and the Bible commands us to love one another, not at the expense of truth, especially if you, you're one of those that have the gift of exhortation or, you know, you're, you're an apologist for the faith or whatever your gifting is. And for those of you who are compassionate, the idea is we, we tender one another. We, we, we balance one another. And and I I realized this as I was sitting at Calvary Community, how much God wants us to engage in this community and and to balance those gifts. We're built, listen, we're built for community. We're built for community. And one of the reasons why I wanted you to meet Marilyn is she's a delightful lady. And a lot of folks, and, and it was the same thing with me. I attended a church and didn't talk to anyone for five months. But God has built us for community. And probably one of the most important parts of the service is to greet one another. and and develop relationships, and plug in with people, because that's how God's wired us. Now, we're going to see a fascinating thing about community, because uh, we're going to end chapter 11 and begin chapter 12, but in chapter 11, it's going to sound ominous, very similar to what we're facing as a nation today. Let me read you some statistics. It is estimated that 4,000 churches a year close their doors permanently. Did you hear that? 4,000 churches a year close their doors permanently. In 1920, 27 churches existed for every 10,000 Americans. In 1950, 17 churches existed for every 10,000 Americans. In 2004, 11 churches exist for every 10,000 Americans. If the trend continues, by 2050, the percentage of Americans attending church will be half of what it was in 1990. Between 80 and 85% of all churches in America are either plateaued or declining. Most of the churches that are growing are not biblical New Testament churches, meaning that they've changed the whole concept of of the, the tenets of the Christian faith. Satan, as we're going to see here, didn't succeed in destroying the early church, but he's having great success today, uh, and there's there's no shortage of reasons. I imagine we would consider why the church is shrinking, and and I listed a few of them um many people speak of the jesus movement and you're going to see that in the movie woodlawn the jesus movement calvary chapel was born out of the jesus movement it was a big revival in the late 60s early 70s and this jesus movement was considered the glory days and in my lifetime i've never seen anything like it we're revolutionized this idea of a revival like the welsh revival where um They had to retrain the pack animals that worked in the mines because the pack animals wouldn't obey commands. that didn't include expletives. Because the revival had taken hold of so many hearts, people weren't cussing anymore, and the animals didn't know how to respond. The history is the barbershop quartet came from police officers in Wales who no longer had to patrol because there was no more crime. And so they started singing. There was a huge number of bankruptcies uh, and business closures during the revival in Wales, and they were bars, taverns, shut down. Alcoholism went away, and and all of this was a result of a revival. I, I've never seen that in my lifetime. I've longed for it. J. Edwin Orr, the foremost historian on revival, said that revival only comes by concentrated prayer, and as we're going to see in Acts chapter twelve. Um, the church is under the gun. They're being vexed, as it says in the King James. I mean, Herod is killing them. The government is out to get them. One of the previews we saw when I was at Woodlawn was, uh, was the sequel to The Passion of the Christ and what happens after he rises from the dead. And it, and it looked fascinating. It's actually a Christian film I am thoroughly thrilled about going to see. And, and we think, well, you know, as, as we... We think of the power that we're going to see in Acts chapter 12. Um, what happened to the church that we don't have that power? Is it that the Lord has changed? No. Malachi says, I am the Lord, I change not. Was it, um, I wrote a couple of questions down, is it because the wicked society that we live in? You look at Elijah's experience, he experienced God's power during the reign of Ahab. You want to talk about a wicked time, read about Ahab. You think our times are tough. Every culture, every generation sees misery in tough times. Is it government oppression? Is that why the church is in decline? Government oppression? Peter, James, and John had to deal with persecution from the religious and the governmental leaders in their day. But the scripture says the Lord added to their numbers daily. And we're going to see in this passage, he multiplied. Couldn't even use addition anymore. He had to use multiplication. Is it because of the music that we're singing? Well, we need to bring back the hymns. So we go, we need to get rid of the hymns. We need to be more contemporary. Is it the music that we sing? No. It doesn't matter. Any songs that glorify Jesus or the purpose of it. Is it the sermons we preach? I mean, I, I think... I think there's some some of the best expository teachers in the history of the world today. And available to them the 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 tools and the insights and the information. Some of the preaching out there is phenomenal. The answer for why the church is in decline is one word. We don't pray anymore. We don't pray anymore. Some of you are going, Oh, another sermon on prayer. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have any more sermons on prayer? We were just praying. And it's not a sermon on prayer, it's a study on Acts chapter 12. And if we're worried about the situation of the church, God's going to show us something very profound tonight. But again, as important as that's going to be, I, don't, I really don't believe it's it's the, the main point of the text tonight. There's something even deeper, uh, if there is such a thing, deeper than prayer. Prayer is what's going to sustain us through the lesson that God is going to... Um, bring into our life tonight. And so I'm going to pick up at Acts chapter 11 where we were going to close out last week and I'm going to finish with that. But let me pray first. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us into all truth. And Lord, I pray that the lesson tonight would be one that would touch every heart present and even those that aren't. That as the pebble falls into the pond, the ripples would reach every shore and so God you say faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God and you say your word doesn't return void and so we're grateful God for opportunities to have this broadcast whether it's through the internet or other opportunities and so God please we just ask your anointing that you would lead us into all truth Holy Spirit lift up the name of Jesus that we would all be drawn unto him in your name we pray amen Amen. So in Acts chapter 11, at the conclusion of it, it begins by saying in verse 27, and in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus, and we touched on him last week a little bit, he stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So the stock market tanks, speculations are done. Everybody's upside down financially. Famine is just absolutely affected the Roman Empire. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So we looked at that last week, uh, the difference between communism and communism, uh that they, they shared. And, and this, is, this is the picture of it. But the point I want to make in the closing portions of this is Agabus. We don't know a lot about him, but he was a prophet. And what he was declaring is there are trying times coming. And I listen to, to folks on the radio that have a gift of of projecting and looking at data, and we see eighteen, maybe nineteen trillion dollars of debt. as they're not posting it anymore, and, and that's going to collide with our gross national production. And somewhere along the line, this house of cards is going to tumble and fall. There's going to be a, a collapse of the stock market. Uh, some folks say that we've got maybe five years left in the the banking and uh, the in the financial situation with America. And It's almost like we're polishing the brass on the Titanic, and we're thinking it's all going to somehow improve magically. But we keep running up a debt. We, we, we're, we have an influx of, of immigration, a number of things that we're, we're just overwhelmed by. Our military is decreasing. We're losing our footing around the world. I mean, I can go through this all night long, and if you turn on the TV, you're going to hear it. And we're, hope, we're basing all of our hopes and our dreams on... Some sort of a, a governmental answer, as though this is the way God's going to operate. And we th- we think that the throne of power is in Washington D.C. and and we decry, um, you know, how overwhelmed we are as Christians because every one of influence is contrary to the faith, and and kids are are being. Uh, Deducted uh, the grades because they 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 won't declare that God is a myth as a teacher is enforcing that upon their students and and we're watching as all of this is happening in our lifetime and we're we're overwhelmed by it and we think gosh they hold the authority and and many folks say well the the likability rating of. Uh, Hillary Clinton is not gonna win the election. There's a very strong chance he's gonna win this election. There there's a calculated purpose where they're sending the immigration population or in key battleground states. It's orchestrated. I mean, there's all we're we're gonna see stuff that is crazy. Absolutely crazy. You can get away with anything in the United States. All the rules have been shifted, changed. It is chaos, pandemonium. And and we're thinking, how are we gonna fix this in our lifetime? And we're we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by the conditions and we're, we're, we're seeing this power and this authority that is standing as a Goliath dominating and sucking the atmosphere, the oxygen out of the, out of the atmosphere. And, and this is what's so profound is that Agabus, he prophesied that basically and, and, and the, the trouble and the vexing that would come upon the church. So with Agabus' statement, we now come forward because it says in chapter 12, verse one, now about that time, meaning Agabus's prophecy, it all hit. About that time, Herod, who was a Hasmonean, uh, he, he per- pretended to, he's a half-breed, he pretended to observe the Jewish feasts, and yet he was placed there uh, and, and was understood by Rome, and he, he held uh, rulership over this area. And about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass or vex some from the church. So what do we see here? We see governmental authority shutting down the church. And when it says vex, the idea is a heavy hand of destruction for death, murder, etc. It is wholesale persecution of the Christian faith by the government. Agabus had prophesied that. In that time, here we see it five years later, heavy persecution. And it's coming down. And uh, I, I met with Jim Buckley, who was the pastor at uh, First Christian Church, Newbury Park. Been here for years. Delightful man, retired. He walked the country wanting to see Jesus in every household. That sat. He wrote a book. He said, Rob, and here he is in his later years. He's raised his kids. He's got grandkids. He's surrounded. He's gray hair, white hair, whatever. And he just says, I, w- I never in my lifetime would have imagined the persecution that we're facing now, let alone what's about to come. He says, I'm worried for my kids. I'm worried for my grandkids, my great-grandkids. And here we see it. It's not like it's the first time it's ever happened. This isn't new to God. And about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass, vex, destroy the church, some from the church. And here's what he did. He killed James. He killed James. He beheaded him. And James was a brother of John. He was just a brother of John. He killed James with a sword. He was a brother of John. You know who he is? You have the three, the 12, the 70, and the multitude. Peter, James, and John. These these were the top of their class. They saw things that none of the other apostles saw. James was witness to miracles that none of the other apostles had privilege to see. He he, he was a a pillar. This is an apostle that Jesus poured himself into, chose three of them, Peter, James, and John. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was there with them. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were there with Jarius' daughter. He witnessed things that that none of the other apostles or disciples ever witnessed. James is a key player, sons of Zebedee is James and John, sons of thunder now they 're cut in half, and he 's killed. Take the key religious leaders of our country and kill them and that 's what we 're looking at this This is the devastation to the church. this is how brutal it is. a government enforcing itself and killing key members. Pillars, patriarch, whatever, dead. And not just dead, violently dead. And after they've killed James with a sword, because Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, and he saw that he was gaining favor in the political arena with all of the constituents, because it's sport to kill Christians. It's easy. We don't fight back. And it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to seize Peter. Peter? All that's going to be left is John. Peter, James, and John. He's already killed James. Now he's going after Peter. He's, he's killing the key leaders, trying to cut the head off so that the body would die. And it was during the days of unleavened bread, so here they are in a Jewish feast that, that Peter's well aware of. And so when he arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads as a, a quadrant of soldiers. And what it was is they had they broke a twenty four hour period into four sections, and two guards would guard for that one quarter period of time, and then they would switch, and they would guard for that one quarter period of time, and the, and and the, the the guards would be chained to the prisoner. The other guards would be out front. A set of guards would be taking a break. Another one would be in the outer gate, and they would just cycle. And so you'd get a. Um, a six hour period of rest. And then you'd have three stations of 18 hours uh, there. They are, he's got heavy watch on him. They're guarding him and he's guarding him because he's going to kill him. He's going to kill him. And and he puts these four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Remember we studied on Sunday, you couldn't kill Jesus during the Passover. It was un, uh, unacceptable. Herod being, um, Hasmonian still observed the law, so he couldn't put him to death because he wanted to remain clean for the Passover meal, and he wanted to participate in the Passover meal. So he's going to hold him guard because they heard what happened with Jesus, and and the tomb was empty. And we're going to keep these guards on him, and and then we're going to kill him after the Passover. So Peter was therefore kept in prison. Peter was therefore kept in prison. Now stop for a minute. I, I, I don't know what your feelings are about the situation in which we live and the times in which we live. And you've often heard me say, I'm, I, I tire of whining. I, I, there's discussion about me doing a radio program, and, and we're, we've been discussing with a producer and a number of other things that we do stations across the country. And so I thought, what does an hour or two-hour program look like? So I started to listen to some of the talk show hosts. I'm sickened by them. I'm sickened by them. You get these talk show hosts that all they do is decry the condition of the nation and, 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 and they facilitate it by selling gold. Those, those are the people that, that buy the product, buy gold. No, they're, they're knocking down the barn door. They're not building it. There's no productivity in what they're doing. They're decrying the things that are happening and, and they're pointing it out. But there's no basis for building And the the anger and the vitriol and the division. And they always decry it as war. And and I I look at that and I think, this is not what God's called us to. We're going to isolate ourselves behind our bunkers. And, and, And I don't know what your thought is on the conditions, but let's just look at it as Christians. As Christians, we're perplexed and vexed and heavily oppressed. But guess what? You have no idea. Just read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the, in the Confessing Church in Germany. He had, a, he had a stable place over in Harlem, and he had a position in New York to, to preach. He left that to go back into Nazi Germany to proclaim the gospel to a government that was oppressing Christians and wiping them out and redefining the gospel so that people would follow Hitler. He was the Messiah. He was the Fuhrer. It's the equal of, of Messiah. And, and the last order Hitler gave before he, he killed himself with Ava Braun is he declared that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to be killed, so they, they killed him. That was one of the last orders Hitler gave, was to kill Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Martin Niemöller, would, he survived it, but he was persecuted along with, with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we, we look at the church, and what, what is it going to look like in five years? If we're going at this rate, and it's, it's rapidly moving, what's it going to look like? I mean, we just see a little letter, letter to the editor that somehow I'm responsible for the incendiary device that went to Planned Parenthood because I call for the defunding of Planned Parenthood from the pulpit, and somehow I'm responsible for whoever tried to light that fire. What's the point of that? The point is, then we must silence what he's saying from the pulpit. You see the connection point? It won't be long. We're watching a $150,000 fine for a baker who refused to bake a cake for something that they felt was immoral. Private business. we're, we're watching is the IRS is targeting churches and conservative groups, and they get away scot-free. Department of Justice doesn't pursue them. What's it going to look like? Where are we going to go with this? There's a, a scene in Woodlawn, and this was in the 60s, you see that scene in Woodlawn where he begins to pray the Lord's Prayer and the, 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 the superintendent of schools pulls the plug. You're not praying. And the whole stadium began to pray the Lord's Prayer in the silence of it. So I ask you, what's it going to look like? Because with this question, they're getting ready to kill the second of the three. They are going to put an end to Christianity. By the way, you think the California condor is rare? You know what's rare? An Arab Christian in the Middle East, in the last 10 years, they've almost been completely wiped off the map in the 1040 window, longitude and latitude. All Arab Christians wiped out. They've either left or have been killed. We don't hear any of it in the news, none. So what's it gonna look like? And the heaviness of this persecution, watch this. I pray it gives you hope tonight. Verse five, Peter was therefore kept in prison. And everybody say with me, but. Everybody say with me, but. (laughs) But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant meaning 24 hours a day. We can barely say enough a prayer at a dinner table let alone gather for corporate prayer for an hour on a Sunday night, let alone an all-night prayer meeting? I mean, give me a break. Prayer is, is not a burden to the church. We, we just, we're we not there yet. And there's nothing like persecution to bring people to their knees. The, the stake of your children's future, the hope for it is not coming on Air Force One. The only way you're going to usher in a hope for your your children and your grandchildren's future is on your knees. The church is declining because we're not praying. You can watch in the book of Acts as we go through it. The minute they stop praying, the church goes through problems. While they're praying, God is adding and multiplying, adding and multiplying. I don't know any other way to tell you that. I don't know any other way to describe it. And, And so constant prayer was offered to God for Peter by the church. I want to tell you something about prayer. I stank at it. I was with um, Pastor Marty today and his wife, Gwen. She's got an awful infection in her foot, and she may lose her foot. And she's frail, and Marty was distraught. And, and I prayed with him and Gwen, and, and just the burden of all that. And and do we resuscitate? Are there, or, you know, he had to go through all that. It's hard. 47 years they've been married. And it's his best friend. And I remember praying for healing for Gwen. And I saw this wound infected on her foot. She has diabetes. And I saw how it's, you know, not metastasizing, but manifesting itself up and down the leg. And I'm praying, and I have to tell you, and judge me all you want. I'm praying for her, and I don't have one whit of faith I really, I think the leg's gonna come off. I, I think it's very detrimental and overwhelming. And and I, I I hurt, I'm praying comfort and peace. And and I I may lack for for those of you who say, Well, Pastor, you don't have enough faith, that's why it's not happened. I don't think that's real fair. Because I've said this before: when they lowered the man through the roof to Jesus' feet, he looked up and he said, your faith has healed this man. So I would just say to you, if you judge me, if you think it's my lack of faith, well, if you've got the faith, then why don't you go and pray for Gwen? We bear one another's burdens. I think at times we we struggle because the, the finite comes into contact with the infinite. We don't comprehend God or his ways, watch this. These prayers are offered for Peter unto the Lord by the entirety of the church, and it's constant. They're praying all night. They've been doing this probably for a few days. And when Herod was about to bring Peter out, that night Peter was sleeping. And I love this. Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. What's Peter doing? He's sleeping. Plus, he's the only apostle that was dissed by not only the Father, not only the Son, but also the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. The Holy Spirit says, uh, you know, silenced Peter. The father said, uh, uh, be quiet and hear my son. And, and Peter is, I'm thinking, James is the guy. Why, why is he dead and you're letting Peter live? All he does is sleep. I think he has narcolepsy. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration, sound asleep. Garden of Gethsemane, what's he doing? catching flies he is out out cold and here he is he's in this quadrant of guards he's in the prison and he's sleeping i kind of relate to him because anytime i'm going through stress or anything i just sleep just close my eyes and sleep every time i have to face something i i I sleep before i have to deal with it and peter's sleeping some people always sleeping because he has such deep faith and he's abiding in the lord and if he's abiding in the lord why isn't he praying well, because the Lord said that, that he would be crucified, and, and obviously that's not going to be the way that, that Herod, so he knew this, and there was, he's sleeping, it's how he deals with stress, that's the way I picture it, he's sound asleep, he's bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison, so you see the quadrant and then the outer gates, now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Okay, so, so Peter, sound asleep, and angel of the Lord comes in. Just picture this with me, if you will. Anyone have kids that you have to get ready for school? Have you ever taken a trip to Disneyland where you have to get up at four o'clock in the morning or three in the, five in the morning? Or take a trip to grandma's house where you have to get the kids up early, get them in the car because you want to be traffic. Anybody? You have to take a flight and you got to get the kids up early. Anybody? Work with me here. Anyone have to get kids up early to get them to school? Okay? Are you, are you there yet? Okay, here we go. So behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Peter, and a light shone in the prison. So you walk into the kid's room in the morning, and the first thing you do is you flick on the light, and they're like, uh, and they roll over, and and the angel, I mean, and that's like these are incandescent lights, and and they're shining. This is an angel of the Lord. I mean, you got to talk about light that's gleaming and just glittering and bright and blinding. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> And that doesn't wake him up, just, probably got a CPAP device or something, and just, just out. My mom used to sleep that way, I'd just shake her, mom, I'm home, mom, mom, I'm home. <laughs> Couldn't get her up. And, and so the angel was shining this light, and, uh, and he stood by him, and light shone, and it doesn't wake him up. So it says, the Lord slapped him. (laughs) The angel of the Lord slapped him. And the same word when he was struck is the same word it's going to use at the conclusion of the chapter that Herod was struck with worms and um, exploded and died. He was eaten by worms. Same thing, struck by an angel of the Lord. I don't know how he struck him it was probably a good little whack and and you, and you can imagine the angel he's he's watched peter sleep in the mount of transfiguration he's watched peter sleep in the garden of gethsemane he's seen his 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 god you know Laboring and sweating his oar drops of blood and watching Peter just sleeping and just infuriating him and the angels are wanting to to descend and destroy the 600 guards that are coming to apprehend Jesus and, and these worthless disciples and all they can do is sleep and they're just standing back going, I don't understand it. You have the God of all glory and creation and the embodiment of love and truth and you're sleeping and he asks you to labor and you disobey him. You disobey the God of all creation. What is your problem? And now he gets a chance. He's shining. And he's like, oh, (laughs) Oh, well, bam, just, you should probably knock Peter off. Just what in the world just slaps him. And I think he hit him really hard. That's how I see it. And I believe it. That's faith. And he smacks him. He just smacks him. And, and Peter, it says, raised him up. So he knocks him and he raises him up. So Peter's like stunned. What in the world? What are you doing? And, and as, as Peter's getting out of this slumber, he's, he's, the light is blinding. He's been smacked by an angel. Uh, right? And, just, and if you hit somebody hard enough, shouldn't that wake him up? But Peter looks to me like a little kid getting ready for school. Watch this. Struck Peter on the side, raised him up, and said, get up. So he, he raises him up, and then Peter laid back down again. You hear tell your kids, get up. I'm up, I'm up, dad, I'm up. Okay, you come back. <laughs> get up. We're late. You got to get back up again. This is Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane all over again, just falling asleep in different positions. And his chains fell off his hands. So Peter, he says, get up quickly, and his chains fall off his hands. And Peter's tripping on this. And the angel said to him, gird yourself. Peter, he's like, okay, where are we going? Where? Go get your clothes on. Okay, get my clothes on. I'll go get my clothes on. And you know the onesies that the kids would wear and they're just lifting your foot as you're trying to get them ready to get them in the car because you got to go and they're just tired and they're just trying to put their foot in the thing. You're, Come on, help me out. And they're just exhausted. And he's saying, Peter, Peter, put gird yourself. Now put your shoes on t- tie your sandals. Okay. Sandals got to wear my sandals. I don't know where my sandals. Michael's the same way. Michael, you forgot. I'll go get my shoes. Dad. I'll go get them. And he's tying his sandals on. And he did so. And he said to him, now put your garment on. It's cold out there. Oh, garment. Got to get my garment. He didn't know where he is. He's just punched drunk and absolutely exhausted. He puts on his outer garment. And, and he says to him, follow me. So he went out and he followed him And to Peter. Watch this. Peter is still not awake. I don't think the church is either. He didn't know what was done by the angel. He didn't know if it was real. He's like, what is going on? This is the craziest dream I've ever had. <laughs> I mean, I'm like in a dream inside of a dream. It's like inception. And, and he, he doesn't know that it's real, and he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, he walks by the first and second guard post, iron door, Arrr! Train walking through the iron guards just standing there they're walking right by the guards don't even see them. Whew. peter sound asleep still walking in asleep. sleep first second guard post they came to the iron gate that leads to the city which opened to them of its own accord that's kind of cool i mean we're all going to go to the haunted houses and see the doors open and all the things this is legit and it opens on its own accord, and then they went out and down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him angel's gone immediately the angel departs as soon as they're out there, but watch this, and when Peter had come to himself, the word "when" in the Greek means it took some time. He's just wondering going what is why, why are you in my room? Who redecorated this area here what?" Why are, who are you people? He has no idea where he is. Sound asleep. And finally he comes to himself and he goes, wait a minute. I'm out of prison. The marks are still from the, wow. He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel. That was real. And that he's delivered me from the hand of Herod. By the way, delivered from the hand of Herod. Herod was the authority. God delivered him from the hand of Herod. God delivered Peter from the hand of Herod. You know what God delivered James from? This miserable fallen earth. We think James got gypped. I'm not so sure. And he delivered him from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. You know what that means? The full authority of Herod and the Jewish people has now been voided. Welcome to God's world. Just let me show you who sits on the throne. Isaiah 6, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. So, verse 12, when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Where many were gathered together praying. Remember constant prayer? They've been praying all night, probably all day. A couple of days they've been praying. As long as Peter's been incarcerated, they've been praying. They were praying for James to be delivered. James is dead. The family's in mourning. And, and you can imagine, Peter, you know, don't pray for me because every time you pray, people die. James is dead. Don't pray for me. I don't want to die either. And, and, and Peter comes to the house where everybody is praying. The church is gathered in corporate, constant, fervent prayer, praying for a miracle. And you want to tell me that I don't have faith and that's why Gwen may or may not be healed? This entire church is praying supposedly a prayer of faith. Now, how solid is the faith that when the answer to the prayer comes, they don't believe it? Anyone tracking that? So, when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying, and Peter knocked on the door of the gate and a girl named Rhoda, which is a kind of a, a nickname, it would be translated for us like rose that 's what that 's what the greek word is it 's a rose it 's a flower, Rhoda rose Rose came to answer, and when she recognized peter 's voice because of her gladness, she didn 't open the gate he 's knocking. It's me, Peter, open up. Who? Rose, it's Peter. Open the door. Peter, we've been praying. Oh, this is so great. Peter, it's you. I can hear your voice. I know it's you. This is so exciting. I just, and she runs. Peter's not going, they're coming for me. Open the door. And she's running back going, it's Peter. It's Peter. It's Peter. Peter's going, I know it's me. I'm going to die. Open the door, Rose. Rose is running back. It's Peter. It's Peter. It's Peter. And she ran with gladness. She didn't open the gate, but she ran. She ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Peter's at the gate. Peter's at the gate. But they said to her, these people praying a prayer of faith, people praying in faith and praying in earnestness, praying for a miracle of God, asking God to deliver Peter. They looked at her and they said, you are beside yourself. Basically, Rose, you're crazy. Rose, have you been drinking? Rose Rose And and as they say you're beside yourself, she kept insisting. You know why she kept insisting? Because they kept saying it wasn't Peter. Kept insisting means she keeps repeating and they keep saying no and she keeps repeating and they keep saying no. Nobody believes her. People of faith, people of prayer, praying a prayer for praying for a miracle. The miracle's here. I just saw him. No, Rose, it's not Peter. No, it is Peter. I just. Saw, no, it's not. Now go sit down. Go do whatever you're doing. We're praying. We are the church, and we're gathering for prayer. This is important business. You don't understand. Peter's in prison, and we've got to. The, and you with these fanciful tales that Peter's at the door. No, he's at the door. Would you stop it already? No, he's at the door. Nobody's getting this. I get it. It's in my head. She kept insisting that it was so, so they said, okay, Rose, it's his angel. Now, the Talmud declares uh, through tradition that an, uh, a guardian angel could take on the form and appearance of the person themselves and speak with their voice. And so they just kind of write her off with some extra biblical writing and saying, well, it's his angel, his guardian angel. Now, just go your way, little girl. Just go. Just go. Now, Peter continued knocking. And he's knocking louder by this time. And they keep hearing the pounding. And they're going, okay, what are you doing now, Rose? Who's at the door? I told you it's Peter at the door. So they open the door and they saw him. And this is the church of faith praying a prayer of faith, fervently in orchestration and concentrated prayer. They open the door and what is their response? Praise God, we knew that it was going to happen. We had seen this and we, no, it says they were astonished. They were beside themselves. They were shocked. They were undone. They were blown away. Fill in the blank. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, because the minute that they opened the door and they saw him, and they were astonished, what did they all do? They all began to cheer. Oh, my God, this is so great. It's Peter. It's all, it's all places erupting. And Peter's like, shut up. They're going to kill me. Shh. Now, Peter is frightened, even though the God of the universe delivered him from All the guards opened iron gates, delivered him from shackles. He's scared that they're coming to get him. They're astonished that he's there. Where's the faith in the church? One thing that they're doing is a prayer, and that's pretty cool because as weak as our prayers are, they're powerful. The weakest prayer is the most powerful gift the body of Christ has in the sense that God just wants us to trust him and pray. Prayer is trusting God. We may not fully believe that he's going to do it. We may struggle with trying to comprehend the infinite, with our finite mind, we may struggle with that. But God loves it when his people pray. He, he's moved by the prayers of his people. I, I would say this. You, you, you tell me you have great faith. Then show me by praying. I don't even necessarily believe that we need to believe while we're praying, although I, I, I think it's healthy for us. I think God loves it when we pray. We ask for those things. And quite honestly, as I'm praying, I'm struggling. However you judge me, I'm struggling over that. I want it with all my heart. I've told him I want it. But I'm almost like a kid going, you know, Dad, if you can't afford it for Christmas, I understand. I don't want to make you feel bad. I don't want to impose upon you. I I, I give God every out possible. Any of you do that? Hello? Yeah, one does. Mm, three. Okay, thanks for your help. And, and they were astonished. He told them to keep quiet. And he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. I don't know if he told them about how the angel had to help me get dressed and he slapped me because I was catching flies and, you know, sawing wood. And he said to them, Go tell these things to James and the brethren. James, the half brother of Jesus, not James, the one who died. He knew he was dead. It was James, the half brother of Jesus, who was overseeing the church in the locality. And he departed and went to another place. He departed, went to another place. That one sentence right there, that's basically the last we see of Peter. We'll see a little glimpse of him in Acts 15, but he's out of the scene now. We know that uh, in Corinthians that, that Paul says that he traveled with his wife there together. They were missionaries, but we don't hear any more about Peter. That's it. That's the end of the story. Verse 18, this is now we pick up where the apostle Paul's going to come into the scene. Uh, in the latter chapters, and he 's going to take over the the evangelizing of the Gentiles. Then, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death That was the the uh, the rule that if the person under your charge escaped, that you had to fulfill the sentence. Um, that that prisoner was was subjected to. So we know that that Herod was going to put him to death because he put the guards to death. That was Roman law. And so he commanded that they should be put to death, and then he went down to Judea of Caesarea and stayed there. He wanted to get out of town because he knew all hell was going to break loose. Herod had been very angry with the people of, uh, of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, having made blasts the king's personal aid, their friend. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a said day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, gave an oration to them. He's really believing his press that he's a God and he's, he's the gift to, to the Judean empire. And he says, uh, the people kept shouting, it's the voice of God and not of man. And he's receiving the praise and the adoration. It's a voice of God. Yes, I am a God. <laughs> I'm a God. I sit on the throne. I, I have full authority my power there's isn't any corner of this this empire that i don't have authority over and he's he's receiving all the adoration they're declaring him to be a god and immediately an angel of the lord struck him because he did not give glory to god and he was eaten by worms and died and there's a I, i can show you pictures medical pictures that are absolutely disgusting about that it just bursts open because of all the parasites that have gathered through the bad water system and everything manifesting and belly distended. And just there it is. Okay, good. Here we are. Yeah, got the visual. Now, here we are. Ready? So he's struck and he's dead. The man who has all the power, the man who's killing James, the man who's going to kill Peter, he's dead. And what happens to the church, the praying church? It doesn't say they added to the Lord daily. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Multiplied. Exponential, manifesting itself. Do you see the equation? Prayer. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, if we want to see the church revived, we need two things. Two things that really make the church get back to its root and the good old days. Two things real simple it, you, you guys want a, a formula i'm going to give you the formula just two simple things persecution and prayer we all good we good we good persecution and prayer not not prayer and isolation in our bunker in montana prayer and persecution we're in the thick of it we're engaging right We're not running from it. We're standing in it. What's fascinating about this is Peter would later write, and this is one of the accounts we do have. He would write in recollection of that evening, contemplating the power of Herod and the power of God. And he wrote in 1 Peter 3 he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who are the righteous? The children of God, those who claim Christ as their Savior, his righteousness is put on our account, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. So who are the righteous? Anyone who claims the name of Christ. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. He's imputed his righteousness to us. That's why we're the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's his church. And his ears are open to their prayers. So what are the righteous supposed to be doing? Praying. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The entire night for Peter is encapsulated in verse twelve of first Peter chapter three. God is watching me. He hears me when I pray, and Herod has no power. First Peter three twelve. Peter wrote it out there. He's actually quoting out of Psalm thirty four. He says, "'But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled.'" He's reflecting on that night as he's encouraging the church. He says, "'But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.'" Not, not with guns, with tenderness and kindness and meekness, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed.'" You know this is what was so successful about martin luther king jr with his peaceful protest is that after a while one of the reasons to this day why the the jewish voting block in, in in the eastern seaboard still sides with the african-american voting block in america is because they witnessed these german attack german shepherd attack dogs being thrust upon the african-americans in, in birmingham alabama ingrained just a 20 years earlier, watching their relatives being herded by the Nazis with these German shepherds. The compassion. They were they, they had compassion. And the people that were doing it, they, they became ashamed. They became the laughing stock. George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, said there will never be segregate there, there'll always be segregation in my lifetime. Never integration. He was a laughing stock. He was he was put to shame. And this is what Peter's declaring in his scriptures. He says, you know, everyone laughed at the death of Herod. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Just stick it out. Now, I want to close and then I'll do it in the 10 minutes. And I, and I think the deeper portion of the text tonight, and this is what I want to encourage you with, is a deeper portion of the text why are we the generation in America with such a rich history that we're witnessing the decline of our nation? Why did I have to be born in this generation? Why could I could have been born in World War II and experienced you know, exciting in the 50s and expanse in the, or, you know, watching the railroads go across or, you know, civil war with slavery being lifted in a miraculous move of, of God's hand or, or the revolution where this experiment in liberty was put together. Why are we the ones who have to kind of manage the dismantling Seems like. And and why did James have to die and why did Peter get to live? Now I don't want you to answer this question, but for those of you who lost a child or a spouse or a loved one, oftentimes you look and you see a couple laughing and and, and, and your spouse is gone. And and they're unrighteous. And you've been, you, you attend a church with your spouse every day, and you're going, God, why did they get to keep their spouse? And I don't, you see somebody holding their baby, and yours isn't here. And you just think of the injustice of it. You know, why are they happy, and I'm not? Why, why did they get to keep their job, and I lost mine? Why did the earthquake happen in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and not here? Why why in Tokyo? We go through all these different ideas and we think of the injustice of God and, and you can imagine the people that when, I think that's my grandson. I'm sorry, calm down. When Peter came into the home, you can imagine John looking at Peter and going, I'm glad you're alive, but my brother's dead. And John thinking to himself, God, why didn't you let my brother live? You could have saved him peter's recounting the story god you could have delivered him you didn't you allowed my brother to die god i've served you faithfully and you, you, you allowed my brother to die you've, you've shown your power you declare that you love me yet you allow me to go through this and my heart is broken if anyone's ever lost anyone that question why is painful why did peter live and james die why did my child die and not someone else's, or my spouse die and not someone else's? Why did I lose my job and not someone else's? God, why this injustice? Let me just say, Peter wasn't delivered because of his faith. James wasn't killed because of some unknown sin. Nothing in the scriptures dictates that. To the contrary, he's a man of faith. Peter wasn't delivered because of the church's faith, right? We saw that, yes? I think what we want from God is a formula. If I do this, will you do this? What are the rules that we play by? I want a formula. God, this doesn't make sense and I don't get you. And then you find yourselves continually just doing the why routine, why, why, why. And you why yourself to death. You know, um, Job asked God why. He was a righteous man. God killed his family and or allowed his family to die, murdered. All of his wealth was destroyed and everything was wiped out. All because Satan said the only reason why he serves you is because he has all these things. It was Abraham Lincoln's favorite book. Just God, why am I thrust in the middle of this? Elizabeth Keckley said he read it tirelessly. And he asked God a series of questions because God wasn't making any sense. None whatsoever. My family's dead. The only one you kept alive is my wife. I wish you'd taken her. You kept my quote unquote comforters alive the ones that mock me and they're just happy that I'm broke and they're making fun of me. They've examined my life for sin, they've examined everything. I've stood and been judged by everyone. My, my health is gone. I'm covered in boils. The only relief I have is a broken piece of pottery shard, and I have to scrape them to you know, relieve the, the, the swollenness of the pustules, and it, it's disgusting. And Job finally just says, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Why? The injustice, God, I can't fathom it. And God responds in Job 38, and the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens my counsel with words that are without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and the thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set the bars and the doors and I said, This far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, Job? That it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. Takes on the form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment, and the wicked, their light, and withheld. And he goes on to talk about Pleiades and guiding the night's stars and, and guiding it through the constellations. He says, Where were you? You want to ask me questions? You have no idea what you're talking about. You have a finite mind dealing with an infinite God. You want to put me on trial for the things that I do as though somehow there's an injustice and that I'm cruel. That somehow I don't know what I'm doing. That you would, you would question it. Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this, Job. Tell me. Do you think now that, that when you have the answers to your questions, you'll have your rest? We think we're going to be able to rest when we get the why answered. But here's the problem. You and I have no idea what we're asking for. You want the infinite to touch the finite. And you want it to make sense. And so do I. And it never will. Until we're in glory. Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then God says this and listen. He speaks to us tonight. Listen, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job, Rob, and then you can fill your name in. God says to you and me, the answer is far beyond your ability to comprehend. The only thing that will produce rest and peace is that you trust me. That's it. Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Are you going to quit? You think he stopped loving you? Because it's hard? Because your loved one died? He's never stopped loving you and me. You just can't comprehend the answer, it's bigger. Shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We leave this night with this idea. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. One may be to the sword of persecution and the other may be to the hands of the angel which the chains would deliver you. But in either case, you're loved and his purposes are being made manifest and we trust him. You see, the word why sounds a lot like whining. What is submitting? Why is whining? I like what one author, he says, that you may not get an answer, Let the joy of my salvation, God says, outweigh your heartache. Just say to God, reveal to me in the midst of my trial that you are enough. I don't need to know why, just that you're enough. Tonight, in your struggle, just say, God, I don't need an answer. I just want you to hold me closer. Don't let me go. Because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Why is whining? What is submitting? This is what revolutionized the church. It shows all of the human folly, all of the error, all of the weakness, and yet the throne is God's and the power is His and the outcome and the purpose, everything is His. That's why prayer is so precious, because we trust him. Amen?